Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. So before we dig into today's guest, we have a couple of really exciting announcements. We're about to launch the 12 Days of Gourmand, so make sure you're following us on Instagram at Gourmand Podcast. Stay tuned for fun features, giveaways, and sneak peek. There'll even be a chocolate factory tour. Also, we're working on launching Gourmand Community, which is going to be a platform built by and for the next generation of food content creators. So if you're a writer, photographer, videographer, you name it, please reach out to us via Instagram or email. We're looking for new submissions to upload to the site and populate it with content before we launch. Today, we're so excited to chat with Kimberly Kamara, founder of Cora, an online-only bakery out of Queens, New York. Started during the pandemic, Cora has quickly become known for their creative take on donuts inspired by a wide range of Filipino flavors. And these are no ordinary donuts. Take a look at Kimberly's Instagram and you'll see what I mean. They look and taste like works of art and have attracted quite the fan base. In today's episode, we talk about cuisine and culture, what Kim's job interview for the number one restaurant in the world was like, and starting an online donut business that now has a waiting list of over 10,000. Let's dig in. Welcome to Gourmand, Kim. Kim. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to dig in. Um, can you begin by telling us a little bit more about your childhood, um, what it was like growing up, and how food came into play? Sure. Um, so I grew up in um, Bayside, Queens. Um, I lived with my parents, my older brother, Ken, um, and my grandmother. Um, and growing up, you know, I was surrounded by food all the time. Filipinos uh, love to throw big fiestas. Um, we'd have huge gatherings for any and every occasion. And at all of those parties were large um, spreads of all the food. Like, it, I, I, growing up, that was definitely, you know, those parties were um, highlights and um, of my childhood and definitely molded me into who I am today. I, I, I think about my life now and I'm such a, a sucker for, you know, having guests and entertaining um, and just hospitality in general. And so, yeah, growing up, you know, we had those parties and I watched my grandma and my, and my mom prepare for a lot of these parties in the kitchen. And, um, you know, I helped them as much as a four or five year old could um, at the time. And, um, and I think just, you know, being around that growing up was definitely um, the reason I, I ended up doing what I'm doing today. So when did you decide that you wanted to pursue the culinary path and become a chef? So I think, I think, you know, I had always been in the kitchen growing up. And then I think I took it more seriously in high school. Um, I think, probably in like sophomore year Um, and I was it was lunchtime one day during my sophomore year I went to LaGuardia High School and funny enough I went to LaGuardia for Mm -hmm. um, vocal music which is like has nothing to do with what I'm um, yeah I majored in vocal music and I I remember during that that lunch period I was sitting with friends and we were just joking around we were playing with our school lunch and like trying to be gourmet and we had like pieces of apple and I don't I, I I honestly don't even remember we made like some Frankenstein of like a dessert just like being s- silly little teenagers and um but you know they knew that I was for I was I was pretty sincere in in 
how interested I was in food and we were talking about it. And um, somebody pulled out a piece of loose leaf paper and a pencil and started writing. Um, I, 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 I can't tell you verbatim what it, what, what it says, but I have it in my room and it's framed now. But it said some, basically said something along the lines of, I can believe Mendoza Camaro will um, have a new levels of culinary success. And then, you know, I signed it. That's and, awesome. Um, I didn't take it. I didn't take it that seriously. That so was just like funny, and um, and I I I found it again a couple of years ago, and at, you know at that at this point already you know delved into the culinary world, and I started my career, and I kind of forgot about it. Uh, and when I found it again, I knew I had to I had to frame it, and um, and then you know once once the idea of college rolled around, it was you know, what do I, what do I, I really sat down and asked myself, what, what do I want to do? And I thought about going the more simple and straightforward route, maybe a typical college, you know, my parents wanted me to do something that was practical or made a lot of money. If that sounds familiar, you know, Asian community, um, Asian families <laughs> tend to gravitate towards yeah. being a doctor or a lawyer or specifically to Filipinos. It's a lot about being a nurse. And uh, my mom is a nurse, so it almost just seemed like a natural um, a natural thing for me to, to follow in her footsteps. But I knew that no matter what I did um, outside of food, I, I probably wouldn't be satisfied with what I was doing, because I knew that's ultimately what I wanted. Um, so I brought the idea up of going to culinary school to my parents, and I had applied to like other colleges. Uh, but it's funny, because going through the process of applying to college, at the end of the day, I knew that I wasn't, oh, there was no way I was going to go to any other school besides my dream school, which was the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah, I got the acceptance letter, and you know, the rest is history. So I did my culinary degree um, for my associates. I left for almost two years and I worked at, um, I worked for Chef Tiago Silva um, and I worked at La Sanita and Catch. And after that, I moved to Macron Parlor. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like you had a really wide range of experiences from working for large restaurant groups and then small bakeries like Macron Parlor. And then you went on to do catering and larger events. And I know you eventually ended up in the fine dining space. How did you get there? Um, I think a big part of why, and so, you know, a big part of why I eventually moved into that dining, a fine dining space for a short period of time was just to see, honestly, being very transparent, is just to see if I could even make it in, number one, and see what it's like. Because I really was so closed off to that world. I had a lot of friends who worked in fine dining. But I really never understood or ever experienced what it was like to work in a fine dining kitchen. And I wanted to say, okay, are all the things that I think about fine dining true? Um, and, you know, and I wanted to, to challenge myself to an extent. Um, and so after um, Abigail Kirsch, I just randomly went out on a limb and I saw that, that um, 11 Madison Park was hiring and you know, if you guys know, it's a three Michelin star. It was the, I think in 2017, it was the number one restaurant in the world. And once I came in, they had me put on a chef jacket and like go right to work. You know, eventually after all these little tasks, they had me um, 
you know, they I, they have everyone make a dish, which is like, oh my gosh, the chef at the most renowned restaurant in all of New York City and one of the most renowned restaurants in the world got to like eat my food. And I knew it was going to happen. But what was funny, I knew I was going to have to cook something. But what was funny is that um, I had spoken to some people that had stopped there prior or like I read some like Reddit threads online and like, what do they do? <laughs> what do they ask you to do when you stage at EMP? And a, a lot of them had said, but they're, they were kind of old. So I, I felt like maybe they might be outdated. A lot of them have said, oh, you have to make a perfect French omelet. Like you can add whatever, but the, the actual omelet has to be like cooked perfectly. It has to look perfect, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I think it was that morning and the evening before the, the stage, because I came in at like two. So I had the whole morning to like mentally prepare and prepare whatever else. And that morning, I made so many omelets. <laughs> so many omelets. I don't even know how many eggs I went through, but I was making omelet after omelet after omelet. And then when they finally asked me to cook at the, at the actual stage, he's like, oh, here's a piece. I think, it was, oh yeah, it was a piece of halibut. And they're like, it's a piece of fish and you can do whatever. And, um, and I was like, oh crap. Like, <laughs> I definitely... I mean, you know, I think I think I kind of had an inkling that I was not going to be making omelets, but I was I just felt so like I was so nervous. Like and I think I had I think they gave me like an hour and a half. I you know, I I stuck to what I know and I knew that I definitely had to keep it simple because if I tried to be too ambitious, I'd probably screw it up. I went into their walk-in and I just like, I think I just, the first thing I saw, I just was like, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to use. So I saw um, yellow squash, grabbed it. Um, I grabbed like essentials, like um, butter, salt. I think they had salt and pepper ready, ready for me. I grabbed, I, I grabbed butter. I think I grabbed cream. I, I, I grabbed some yuzu. Like I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know, but this sounds okay and good. And then I went into the dry storage and I was like, oh, quinoa. Yeah, at, um, I definitely, I'm, I'm really big on texture. Like, even when it comes to our donuts now, I always, always, like, want crunch or crisp or something. I'm just, like, because I love fried food, and I just, like, can't eat any food unless it has, like, a little bit of, like, crunch and texture. So when I walked into dry storage, I'm, like, looking at this beautifully organized wall of all these greens and spices. And back at Pier 60, a lot of um, we, we did a lot of fried quinoa or puff quinoa. I had experience in doing that. And I knew that was like a beautiful uh, way to add texture to whatever, whether if it was, if it was, I'm telling you right now, if it was halibut or if it was chicken or whatever they gave me, fried quinoa would be on that dish no matter what. Because <laughs> that's what I do. your secret like, weapon. <laughs> that's the technique that like just popped into my mind at the time. So yeah, I, I did like fried quinoa and oh my gosh, it was so crazy. Like, I, oh, and I did a, I did a puree. I think it was like parsnips and it was just such an interesting time to like really figure. And you know, that's probably part of the trail too. It's like, how can this person navigate in a new space? I'm so curious. How did it turn out? So eventually the dish comes together. Um, they, they uh they they look at me and I'm like bringing it over and I I did like with the squash I did like um, ribbons 
anyways, yeah, so I bring up the dish to the past, the plate's nice and warm, and um, I put it under the heat lamp where, you know, the chef is, the chef stands and he expos, and oh my gosh, and then he tries it, and I'm like, oh, I'm so mortified. It looks beautiful. I'm very proud of it. I think I, at one point, I, like, I add, like, little, like, fuchsias of, like, dill prawns, and, like, they had, they had a sunflower crab dish at the time, and I, like, stole some sunflower petals, and I, like, arranged it really nice, and I was visually, like, I was very happy about what I did. Uh, I felt, like, such a nuisance. Like, I just wanted to, like, be done. He, he loved the puff quinoa, which I was like, I know you love the puff quinoa, because it's great. <laughs> He did say that the fish was like a touch overcooked, but I was like, but he's like, but the, you know, the puree sort of like, it's not as noticeable because the puree was so like moist and delicious. And like, um, that was, that was all he said. He was like, it was good. And then I remember, and then I was like, okay, cool. And then like, he's like, yeah, you can leave it on the path. Maybe the other chefs are hungry. I was like watching from afar and like, I see like half the fish still half the dish still on the past and other two chefs are like taking bites out of it and I'm like oh my gosh this is so crazy that this is happening but yeah and um that's how my trail at EMP went yeah and then at the end of the night the chef sat me down before I left and he was like yeah so you know we'd love for you to join our team just like understand like the commitment agreed and I ended up working there for a few months um yeah it was uh it was definitely an amazing few months and I learned so much working for them yeah absolutely and I just want to say how amazing I think your star story was um this is definitely no typical job interview um I actually did my summer internship at Elf Madison Park last summer but in the dining room and as part of our training we spend a day in the kitchen and um the day I I was in the kitchen in the morning someone was like are you ready for your omelet um and um, chef Lockwood asked me to make an omelet and I think it was the scariest moment of my life because I don't I don't make omelets um but it turned out well because I had some help but um yeah it's just such a nerve-wracking experience so I couldn't even imagine how did you how was that overall experience for how how long were you there for yeah I was there for um a little under three months last summer um it was a great experience i think the met some really awesome people it's uh they're they're all they're all amazing chefs like they're they're great but um you know when they get mad they get really mad. <laughs> like everybody would just want to run away from them but also like it's so understandable too like they have they have so much pressure on them to like be perfect and make sure everything runs so smoothly and perfectly and it's just so like it just it's so understandable you know what I mean yeah definitely <laughs> um so after you left EMP we know that you worked for Union Square Events in more of a R&D uh position and then of course the pandemic hit and you started Cora where you began to sell donuts online um, really curious to hear how Cora started and what the development process was like for your first few uh, recipes. Um, a lot of these recipes I kind of already like had in my mind or I kind of, I, I, I'll tell you right now, as far as developing the recipes for Cora, it wasn't a long process by any means. I think I literally, mm-hmm. for the first like rollout, 
on my personal Instagram, like the first day I posted, hey guys, I'm doing this, here are the flavors. The actual testing that took place for those first four flavors was like a day. And even in that day, I was, you know, I just, I think it was like a first, I took my first pass at, at fillings and the, and the dough. And I was like, this is legit. I made a couple little tweaks on that day. And then I think it was literally the, either the following day or two days um, after that, where I was like, okay, this is what I'm selling. Because like I said, I didn't think that number one, it would have, it, it would have ever blown up this much. And, you know, I like, obviously I, I want to put out a good product, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like, okay, yeah, this is my signature product. This is what I want to be known on, known for the rest of my life. It was more of like, Hey guys, I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm making these donuts. If you're interested. Yeah. Like place an order, you know? Um, yeah. It was so casual. I can't put st- enough stress on how casual it really, really was. Yeah. And some of the best things come from just playing around. What were the first flavors that you created for Cora? So when my grandma passed away, two days after um, her funeral, we were going through her belongings and we were sorting things and we found her recipe book. And, um, you know, in there was her recipe for the show pal that I had mentioned and one of her most famous desserts, her leche flan. Um, and I remember... And, you know, this is this is months and months before Cora was even a thought in my mind. But I remember seeing the recipe and thinking to myself, I'm going to use this. I don't know how or when or what I'm going to use it for, but I'm going to use this recipe somehow. Because in, in, in for me, it felt like, you know, using her recipes was one of the ultimate ways to pay tribute to her um, and keep her alive. Yeah. So, yeah, at that point, I, I had no idea how I was going to use it. And then, you know, when this whole idea of making donuts came along, um, I I was like, oh, this is this is it. Like, this is where I'm gonna use the recipe. And so I knew from the get-go that was gonna be one of the flavors, like for sure. Um, and then, you know, ube seemed like an obvious choice. And I I had I already felt in my heart that if I didn't have ube on the menu, that I would get a, a mob of people asking me why I didn't have Ube on the menu. Because, you know, I was I was also trying to, like, move away from what people knew already, um, at least the general public, because, you know, everybody knew about Ube. Like, it's such an Instagrammable thing. So much popularity. It's just so visually, like, beautiful and vibrant. Mm-hmm. And, like, you mm-hmm. know, I as a Filipino that knows how much more the cuisine has to offer, I'm not going to lie. Kind of, kind of scoffed at, you know, like how much, how many people were making at the time, like during quarantine, like everybody was making Kube Pandasal. And I was just like, great. Like, what, like, <laughs> let's, let's try to be a little more creative. And I, in my mind, I was like, there's so much more, there's so many more flavors that are just as exciting as ube and that's not to say i don't think ube is delicious or anything i love ube. i'm like obsessed with ube as well but i also felt like there's so much more to showcase and so you know that was that was an obvious one that i had to have on there and then what else was on there oh and then it was buko pandan which one of my favorite one of my favorite filipino desserts and the fourth flavor was halo halo which is the filipino version of a shaved 
it's our it's our signature shaved ice dessert. And you know, I wasn't I wasn't doing this for like any sort of cloud or anything. I was just like, this is fun. Like I'm having fun brainstorming and like making these flavors up on top of you know introducing people to new flavors and also um, making making my fellow Filipinos like a little more prideful in in some of the desserts that you know they might not be as proud to 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 um to the general palate or what what have you so that that was really the exciting part for me yeah yeah no I love that and I feel like food is such a key way to kind of introduce people to new flavors and tastes and also like ways of thinking and stuff like that um and I love that you know your donuts are served both as like you said a way for um you know Filipinos to like find that comfort or you know taste those flavors but also to open up you know other people's minds to to kind of that world yeah and I think it's pretty incredible um I read in the eater article that you guys sell out in I think under three minutes was that demand gradual or did you see that instantly after that year article was published is really when we really, really took off. I mean, we were already doing generally very well prior to that. But since that year article came out, it like it really just skyrocketed, like to the point where I will transparently say that it's almost out of control. Um <laughs> yeah, at that point, um I think even even the first time I put out the the coast, in my mind I wanted to, I hadn't produced so many donuts out of this apartment. I was like, hey, let me just, let me just cap it at like a hundred donuts. And that day, you know, I was watching the form and I saw the numbers go up gradually over a few hours for, for, I think I posted it like sometime in the early afternoon. And then by the evening, it was maybe at like 75 donuts, which was like still surprising, right? For the first time I'm putting something out there. And then I thought, you know what, let me leave it. I'll let it hit 100 and then I'll close it then. And I kind of forgot about the form for a while. And then when I went back to it, it was at like 175. And it was like the following morning. And I was freaking out. And I closed the form immediately and I was freaking out. And then literally after that first, after that first post, um, the following week, week two, I think we sold out in like seven minutes. And we were, I think we were already, we were still at, 175 to 200 donuts um and that was just week two and then so since then the ordering window just got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and people (laughs) were starting to get um frustrated with the ordering process because you know um, up to to date our ordering window is like less than 30 seconds and like 500 donuts now Uh, wow yeah, it's still in my apartment. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. There was there was something that I really enjoyed about uh, using the apartment space. Uh, it was it was quaint. You know, there was something really homey about the fact that you know people are coming to the shop and it's literally like an apartment building and it's there's no any sort of signage or anything. It's it's just a a residential building, and then we come out with this box of donuts for them. So there was something really exciting about that and. Um, the fact that, you know, it was so small batch and coming out of this uh, tiny space, it, and unintentionally, we, we created uh, a scarcity. Um, and so, you know, it, it was 
um, it's just it's just crazy. Like I, I, that's literally the only word I can really describe this entire journey um, that Cora and and at that time when I first started, Cora wasn't I didn't even think about making Cora sort of a separate entity. It was really just off my personal Instagram. I was like, hey guys, make donuts. You know, I didn't have a name for it. I didn't I didn't look at this as stuff. I I really from the first day I was I thought to myself, oh, I'll probably do this for like a month and then I'll not do it anymore. And it just kept getting longer and longer because <laughs> so many people were asking it week after week. And uh, yeah, it's yeah. It, yeah, it's it's really truly insane. And I wish we could. It would be so cool to to uh, be able to make more out of this apartment. But you know, there comes a point which is now pretty much that you know, we, you know, it's it's not it's it's almost making it harder to produce out of the apartment because. We don't have industrial uh, equipment here. I'm using an oven with like two racks, and I'm trying to like make 500 donuts. And we have these two little, two little home fryers that we're frying all the donuts out of. So, you know, it was just it was just the time to like get out of here and really um, tackle you know our our wait list. Which when the eater order came out, it was at 800, and now it's probably closer to 10,000. Oh, wow. Right. And that's crazy. We, Kevin and I, my boyfriend, who does everything besides, uh, well, he, he also helps with the production on the day. But, you know, while I'm the culinary brand himself, he's literally in charge of everything else that involves, you know, this business. So um, making sure the boxes are folded, making sure all the order, orders are organized. He's like our, our my main customer service guy. And, um, so, you know, we, we've been grinding on this journey together and it's been really fun and challenging, but yeah, um, we're just trying to, we're just trying yeah. to figure it out. We don't have any solid plans of what we're going to do, what we want to do. I think short term it's, you know, find a space we can move into, um, generally seamlessly, um, in order to continue producing, but that's, that's what's on, on, uh. That's what's in store for us as of now. Wow, I'm super excited for what's next. And when I'm back in New York, I definitely have to order some donuts. Um, so to wrap up, we wanted to ask you what advice you'd have for students or any young entrepreneurs looking to do something in the food and beverage industry. I think just coming from everything I've experienced so far, um, you know, I think it's it's about being completely genuine with your intention and staying true to what it is, whatever it is you want to do, um, and not uh, not faltering from that. Um, because what I've found is that, you know, yes, we're selling donuts, and that's primarily what people want. But on top of that, I think people are really excited about the experience surrounding them. So whether that's actually the, the physical experience of eating them, but also just everything that comes along with it. So, you know, the the genuineness of the intention of, of the product and really standing behind what you do and having pride in what you do. So no matter what it is, I feel like um, if, if, if there are students or any, any young people, it feels weird to say that because I feel old when I say that, but people who are trying to figure out uh, what they want to do 
in the industry and making sure that not, you know, nothing nothing in your environment changes how you feel about what it is you're passionate about and and just being genuine with it i think that's the best advice that um i've been yeah i take myself and i and i try to run with because people people really see that and they can feel um the the genuine connection whatever it is you're making if it is genuine (laughs) i think it it's so true. Um, and that to wrap up, we have a little segment that we do that we call a speed round. And it's just a few short questions. Uh, just say the first thing that comes to mind. Oh my gosh, no pressure. <laughs> so the first one is what's one kitchen tool you can't live without? Oh, um, my immersion blender. <laughs> what's your favorite midnight snack or late night restaurant? Oh, uh, recently it's um, this arepa from a place nearby called Arepa Burger, and it has chicken and gouda cheese and avocado, and it's so good. Yum. <laughs> um, what's your favorite Cora donut? Ooh, oh, my God. Oh, that's so hard. Okay. If I have to pick one, I'll probably say Leche Um, And then finally, the age-old question, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. I'm not I'm not big on chocolate. <laughs> that was a fast answer. Some people have a really hard time with that last one. Really? Yeah. I'm I'm like uh when it comes to like really chocolatey things, I'm like kind of like a hard pass. <laughs> all right. Well that is all of our questions and thank you so much again for taking the time. Um sorry about all the we experienced a few technical issues, but it, it was so great to kind of hear your story and you know it's so fascinating to hear about the wide range of places that you've been. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I really, again, I really appreciate how patient you guys have been to try to make this happen. And um, I hope you guys have an amazing Thanksgiving. That's a wrap on our conversation with Kim Kamara from Cora. Check out Cora on Instagram at from Cora for some delicious donuts and to keep up with what they're up to. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or shoot us an email at gourmandfoodpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at gourmandpodcast to stay up to date with all the latest events, giveaways, and our 12 days of food mess coming up this December. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.